So it's always about reinforcing they made the, ch- the right choice in hiring you. Now, if they hired the guy that was on your podcast and then he didn't deliver the work and he never talked to them again, they are not getting that reinforcement. Is your Amazon private label business set to survive the downturn? Most sellers don't know. Surviving a downturn means squeezing out more profits and slashing waste. But many sellers don't know exactly where their business is making or losing money. If that's you, we can help. Our new quick assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a quick but powerful diagnosis of your biggest issue, just go to amazonprofitquiz.com. That's Amazon Profit quiz.com to get your free instant analysis. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 396. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon private label and custom product sellers. There's a specific niche for you. It's a subset of the Amazing FBA Podcast, which is for Amazon sellers full stop, which is quite general. Today, we are talking to Jeff Sauer of Data Driven You, the founder and CEO and lead instructor of Data Driven You. And Data Driven You is there to help marketers get more comfortable with the data they need to make decisions. Hope I got that right, Jeff. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great conversation in the last episode about data maturity, as you call it, for Amazon-focused sellers. So today we're going to flip that a bit and talk to agency owners out there. Or maybe if you've been running a big enough Amazon business for a while and you think you have spare capacity, ha <laughs> ha. If you have some spare time or you have ambitions to do it, maybe you're thinking about getting a piece of the action with an agency. Certainly enough people that have set up agencies, they're springing up all over the place. So first of all, let's talk about data and agencies. I haven't run an agency, but I've dabbled a bit in agency-like behaviors over the years. I'm doing Mm. little bits from my clients. I've certainly spoken to a metric ton of agency owners in the Amazon space. So why would you even want to run an agency? It's a very quick question to somebody who's actually owned one and I believe sold one as well. Tell yes. us about Yeah, so I've been everywhere on this whole thing. A solopreneur or on my own as a freelancer. That was my way of getting out of my job. The reason why I did that is because I could work fewer hours and make more money than a job as long as I was able to fill the pipeline, right? You can charge more at an hourly basis to the point where you can work half as much and make the same amount of money or work the same amount and make twice as much money, right? So that is the lure. It is a freedom of time for the most part. It doesn't always work that way. And so there's a lot of reasons why somebody might want to do this. It's the easiest business to start up because you don't really need to invest any money in it. The investor is your clients, right? So if you have even one client willing to pay you money, you have money coming in that you know it's working. And then it scales pretty well because one client can turn into two, can turn into 10 pretty easily, right? Now, 
The word agency is usually, it means so many things to so many people. Some people think it's a swear word. Some people think that it's the coolest thing. But ultimately, I just look at an agency as a business model around services that you provide to people. So a freelancer is one person always providing the services. An agency is usually a structure, a hierarchical, hierarchical structure where you have somebody who's leading the business and then they have different resources that that will service the clients. So you might have an agency model, you might have client services who deal with the clients directly. You might have production or delivery people who deliver the work and stuff like that, right? So that can mean so many different things. And so it it often gets confused where somebody's like, hey, I have an agency and it's just them. It's not really an agency, right? Usually yeah. an agency is people. Now, the reason why I like the agency model is because that does have the scale where you can make money in your sleep you can make money beyond whatever. So that's more entrepreneurial version of being a freelancer. A freelancer is exchanging time for money and an agency is having the economies of scale where you can have a team to deliver this work. I don't yeah. know if that really even answered your question, but that's just my thoughts on the agency. And so I've been the freelancer. I've been in an agency. We implemented, we went from being a bunch of freelancers or consultants into an agency. We went from five employees to 50 employees made the Inc. 5,000 five years in a row. All kinds of cool stuff happened there during my journey to doing that. So I've seen it all. And then after I left the day-to-day of my agency, um, I went back to being a freelancer for a while to get this business off the ground. And then last year, we sold freight figures, the agency. So that's a little bit of my to there and back with the agency world, if you will. Wow. Okay. Then you make there's a few interesting things to pick out of that. I mean, this thing is, you know, what is an agency? Well, it's not a freelancer and you can sort of start freelancing and leverage it into, you sort of grow organically into an agency from what you said. The attractive proposition about it, I can see a lot of Amazon sellers looking across at the agencies they worked with over the years, especially PPC agencies. There's so many out there now and say they're doing a worse job than I could and starting to look at it as a very attractive business model. We also talk about the data-driven side because that's your expertise, of course. But before we do that, interesting to talk to somebody who's been in an agency and exited the business. What is the, what are the downsides of that compared to, I suppose I'm about to ask you to make a comparison that's, you're not in a position to make. So that would be done. But for the Amazon sellers out there are going to be thinking, okay, I got my FBA type business, e-commerce, lots of money tied up in products, but it's a sellable entity. It sounds like your agency could be sellable, but presumably there's some downsides to the agency as well. So what yeah, are the sort sure. of downsides to that? You say it's scalable and it's simple to start and your clients are funding it. That sounds too good to be true. What's the downside? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, there's so many, there's a few downsides for sure. So let's talk about like an inventory heavy business, like an FBA business. Yeah, you have a lot of overhead and you have to, if you have to project the inventory with marketing, right? And if you, you have to be ahead of the game, you might have to order product six months before it hits and you're projecting in a spreadsheet, hoping that works. Well, what if you land a client on the agency side, you're projecting what the labor is going to be like, and then you have to go hire people, right? So you actually have a very similar scalability problem, and that's anticipating the work that's coming in and aligning the resources with the clients. Clients are actually way more fickle than maybe not, this might not be true, than like products. Like people buy a product and it's done. There's some returns and stuff like that. But when you provide a service, it's never really done. It's always going on all the time. So you go from this thing where somebody buys and then you just, and the return rate's a percentage to like you, somebody buys your agency services and every single call you're reacting to what the client needs or what their reality is or what their problems are. And so you're never really off the clock. And so it really does start to burn people out and stress them out a lot. The other thing is that it's a lot easier to scale. Like you make one 
let's just call it, I'm trying to think of a good FBA product. I mean, there's tons of them out there, but you make one of your FBA product and then you make a hundred of them. And then by the time they make the 10,000th one, it's better actually than the first one, right? Because they, they got they worked out the kinks of the process. There are economies of scale. When it comes to people, you might have one good employee that, that you use to work on your client work. And then they get to the point where they're at capacity. Maybe they have 10 accounts they're working on. The next person could suck. And then you're actually worse. So half of your half their business is doing really well. The other half is doing terribly because they don't mesh with the client. Then if you have more business, it doesn't really scale well. So people are way harder to scale than anything. And that's the biggest downside of the agency is the people do not scale very well. A lot of times, somebody who's really good at delivering services is not a very good business owner. They don't have a good training program teaching people how to do this. The second you train somebody up, they want to go leave for more money. So they always want more money. Like when you do manufacturing, the more you do, the less it costs, right? Maybe not in the last two years, last few years, but But traditionally, traditionally, the more you do it, the more supply, yeah, the more it goes down in costs versus people, the more, the better they do. And the more you get of them, the more they want. So it's crazy how to deal with it. So it's a huge, people Ah. are a gigantic variable. That's definitely the most challenging part of the agency business. Okay, so you've given us this solid reality checker. So anyone who's really doing well in FBA business probably needs to stick to what they're good at anyway. But those of us who are, well, those, I say us, are not really in that boat, but those who do still want to do an agency. Yeah, how do we use data specifically? I guess that's your expertise. And let's talk about how do we actually go about running an agency effectively and taking account of those scary things you just said. It makes utter sense for me from my experience of hiring people. That is so variable. You don't have that upwards progression that you naturally have with physical products. And you make a very good point. It's so obvious. I have never thought of it that way. As soon as you said it, I'm like, duh, of course. (laughs) That's so logical. That's sympathizing with the experience. So how do we get around this? How do we make the thing? So first of all, I don't ever sell data, right? Data is a byproduct or a result or an enablement area, if you will. So data is not what I'm telling people that they should do. It's more of what the data unlocks or what the results are. So my agency, we were heavily involved with doing organic search, paid ads, using analytics to report on those things and to give them reports, to give them insights into what was happening, running their email campaigns. We are a full service digital marketing agency. So we pretty much did everything, but we specialized. We had, The majority of the money came from email marketing and paid media. We didn't say you need paid media. We would say, do you want to get more leads more predictably for cheaper? They're like, yes. <laughs> the And we tell them, okay, we can do this with Google ads and their paid search platform better than you could have done on radio, TV, yellow page advertising, all that stuff. But this is in the mid 90s or the mid 2000s when that stuff was pretty prominent. So we were just telling them that we can do better than what they're looking for and then we had the methods to do it. So we didn't really sell them on Google, but Google was our method of delivery. And so I think that's a pretty big difference and a pretty big observation for agencies. The most successful ones, they don't actually sell what they're doing. They're selling the results. So for example, if you wanted to be an Amazon FBA agency, you wouldn't sell them on, hey, we're doing Amazon PPC. You would say, hey, do you want to make sure that you're showing up at the right places at the right time, doing it efficiently so you're not wasting any money and so that you are extending and elevating your profitability through the platform and not, so it's, you're not wasting and you're gaining. So your efficiency is a play you can do that type of stuff. We can do that to for you with our way of doing things. Show them a yeah. few case studies about what you've done. And then they're like, okay, yeah, I think that you're better than everybody else who just says we do Amazon PPC. 
Yeah, that's a very good point. I guess it's the old marketing advice that people consistently get wrong, including me, if you don't think about it, which is sell the benefits, not the features. So yeah. sell the scissor, not the steak. And it's incredibly easy to get product centric, isn't it? And I suppose you'll just say, once you've got the physical products in your mind, you get into must sell lots of widgets mode, as opposed to understanding why would somebody want to buy this in the first place? And yep. yeah, it's the same thing. And elevating profitability, by the way, really good reason to use an Amazon PPC agency. If you're going to use one at all, I'm not saying anyone should or shouldn't. We, we discussed that elsewhere in the podcast, actually, but often people come up with really dumb metrics, like just raw revenue metrics. I want yep. to grow the business, meaning grow top line revenue. So as an Amazon, sorry, as an agency owner, you must have had that conversation a lot. What was your response when you had a slightly foolish, if I may say that, uh, objective from the client? Would you try and manage them towards profitability? Would you just say, we can't help you? What was that conversation? Yeah. That's a, so I would never call out the client for being foolish because I think that it's just, it's really representative of where they're at in their maturity. And usually if they ask those questions, I will steer them in the direction of how I look at the world because I'm, I'm definitely convinced that I'm right and I can be very convincing as well. And so they're like, Hey, yeah, I want this. And I was like, that's not how I look at the world. Here's how I look at it. And then if they say, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Then that might be somebody who could be a good client. That's actually a, a showstopper right there. If I say, here's how we look at the world and they don't agree with it, then I'm like, screw you. I don't need your money. <laughs> we have enough people who are lined up to work with us. So it's never that they're wrong. It's just that, are they right in seeing my way of doing things? Because otherwise it's already off to a bad start trying to put a square peg in a round hole, for example. So that's a big part of it. And then the other thing is just trying to get to them to the point where they, it's really consulting them as to what the expected results are. And then you mentioned this, I'm not sure if it was in the last episode or, or here, but about you you ran a projection for a potential per client. You showed them how much they're going to need to invest. And then you showed them the numbers two or three years from now. That was a major part of what we did. We just showed them their numbers. And so we have a calculator. It's actually on our data-driven site, but it'll actually, you say, how much do you want to spend a month? What's your conversion rate? And we'd put in a few numbers, like what's your sales, like lead to sales rate? What and we'd use their numbers and we say, okay, if your numbers are as good as you say it is, we can feed you as many leads. We can feed you this many leads according to Google. And here's what you're going to be getting. Do you want a hundred leads a month for this price? And yeah, we want a hundred leads. And it's like, okay, that's a pretty easy decision, right? So we can show them what the numbers will look like when we run with them. And then they're just saying, yeah, as long as I can close the leads, we're good to go. We had this calculator was a major breakthrough for us is that we're not selling them on ads. We're showing them how their numbers can work if ads drive the traffic to them. That's really good. I think, by the way, that's the way of thinking that would encourage that in my mind. If you're listening to this show and you're not on Amazon business, uh, sorry, agency owner, and you don't aspire to that, you can apply the same thinking. Yeah to your own business, right? So in other words, if you have a calculator and you're you're talking with your chief marketing officer, maybe you're having a conversation with yourself or you're talking to your business partner, if you've got a smaller business and you're thinking, okay, should we, what result can we get? Having some kind of calculation based on conversion rates, lease to sales rate, or however your business works on Amazon, it's relatively straightforward uh, mm -hmm. funnel, right? Then yep. um, we can fit in X amount of money and we get this sort of output. I think it's really healthy to think that way. And also, of course, the more you understand from an agency what they're trying to do, then if you're trying to hire an agency, that's going to help you, I think, because a lot of people yeah. out there are trying to hire agencies. So tell us a bit more about it. Let's stick with the agency perspective, which you obviously have really deep knowledge of. How do you keep your clients happy is another way of putting it, because obviously we talked about client expectations and having alignment with that. 
a, a lot of agencies have these types of onboarding calls and make lots of promises. And yet my clients in the mastermind who are selling lots of physical products and the Amazon focused businesses have had a lot of churn with their PPC agencies, for example, in the Amazon space. So that implies they're not getting the results they want, despite the fact that the agency owners I interview on the podcast seem extremely bright and capable and they've always got structure, yeah. hire good people, or they try to. Why, why is there that disconnect and how can you address that from the agency owner perspective? Yeah, this is speculating and this is generalizing. Just get that out of the way. Of course. Um, <laughs> I'm usually, asking you to speculate. Fair. Yeah. The big thing is usually the person who's selling is the agency owner and they are as good as they say they are and they're selling on your podcast but they're not the ones doing the work and they're really shitty at training people. They're just terrible at training people on how to do what they need to do. And so they can sell ice to the Eskimos. They can sell pop ketchup popsicles to white glove women, right? But they can't. And I don't know if I can say those anymore. Sorry if those are offensive at this I point. I think that's reasonable <laughs> to say. Uh, yeah, I get what you... Uh, but so honestly, it's the disconnect between what they say they're going to do in the sales process and in using a cherry picking the best case study, the best thing they worked on with their with that person and then saying that the junior person they hired is going to do it with no training program, no knowledge, no SOPs, no process, right? So it's usually that they're, that's a sign that they're a good salesperson, not a good business owner, or they haven't put that in place. How to keep clients happy is actually, to me, it's really simple. These are real people. You align yourself with their objectives and you make sure that they feel heard, that they feel noticed, and that they feel like they are making progress. Now, the thing about clients, 99% of the time for me, is they are employees of the company and their job is to not screw up. Their job is to hire the right person to give them the right number so they can show their company they're making progress. That's it. So if you hire an Amazon PPC agent and you're in with FBA, obviously the client is also the business owner probably or the operator, but that operator, if say they have investors, are they going to tell their investors that they hired somebody and then the numbers went down? No, <laughs> they're not going to want to do that. They're going to, they want to tell somebody good news only, right? So a lot of times what you need to do is you need to align your company so that you're setting expectations that you're only delivering good news to them. Or any bad news is explained in the context of the environment they're around. Like it's actually not reasonable to expect that paid search costs would go down. They're usually going to go up because it's an auction-based system. It's environmental. There's all these other factors there, but they want to be heard and understand that they made the right choice. So it's always about reinforcing they made the ch the right choice in hiring you. Now, if they hired the guy that was on your podcast and then he didn't deliver the work and he never talked to them again they are not getting that reinforcement. They're like, oh yeah, this is terrible. I hired John and I got Doug. Then it just never works that way. So that's almost always the problem is they're not, you're not putting them in a position where they look good. Like they have a choice in who they hire. That's like the most thrilling thing in the world. Do I hire agency one, two, or three? They really, the result, you're all saying the exact same thing in the room. You have the exact same pitch. You're selling features, not benefits. You're Even if you'd sell benefits, you're dumbing it down to the point where like, that doesn't really make sense. It's really they trusted you when they hire you. And then you just completely revoked that trust and didn't do anything you said you were going to do. So that's the big disconnect. So talking about the difference between a freelancer and an agency then, I think you're putting it, this is comes to the heart of the matter. By the way, I like the way of explaining bad news it is actually good news, depending on the context. I was saying, I, I just wanted to make this point and get your thought on this. And then we'll, we'll talk about they hired Doug and then they got John or whatever. <laughs> it's an intrinsic problem. Let's talk about this one first. I've got two questions really. The first one, 
hired Doug and got John. I'm going to put a pin in that because I think that's a really important one. How do we deal with that? The other one is, tell me about this. I personally think that measuring how well your top line revenue has grown is a terrible way of measuring your ability as an, a manager of your own business and therefore a terrible way of managing somebody else's effectiveness because if it's 2020 and you're in the middle of pandemic and you're in this sort of travel space as one of my clients was, then their revenue created 80, 90%. That's not because they suddenly became a terrible business operator. The environment yep. changed. Mm-hmm. Equally, some people tripled their revenue that I work with. Yep. Not because I became a genius coach or they became genius people overnight. That's just not a thing. 300% growth was due to the environment changing. And then if the environment changes the other way against you. So how do you manage, um, how do you evaluate management effectiveness then? Because for me, it's got to be relative to the environment, but that's a difficult sell. How do you get that across to people and how do you think of it yourself? Yeah. So we installed, and this is the a benefit of the agency model is we installed hierarchy. We had account managers and doers. The account manager would get on a call every single month with the client, understand their environment, their challenges, what they're going through. And then they would agree upon what they're moving forward or set targets for the next month. Right. So that it was an ongoing thing. So it was never surprised. And even if you had bad news to deliver, you'd say, here's the bad news. Here's why it was bad. Here's where our outlook is. So you're really just telling them the environment you're around. So if I were, um, you know, if I were working with a travel company and I was like meeting with them every month during March, 2020 and on, I'd be like, Hey, it's actually not that bad of a month. People bought a bunch of this. Right. And then, oh, the airplanes. And then the month tanked because the airplane shut down. You meet with them mid April. You're like, or obviously you can do email in between, but the next meeting you're like, okay, well, we, yeah, because we talked about this thing, you told me in March to shut this down or to go at 10% until we know what happens. So that's what we did. We did that plan and it's as bad as we think next month, we should actually shut this down to zero or we can, we'll suspend our contract. That might be what you have to do. And so that's your way of, you're just going with the punches with them and you're like letting them know. Now the ones who are doing well, you're like, Hey, we met in March. We, we decided to, to wait and see we, we increased the spend in April because we knew people were ordering online. We went up like crazy and we kept on doing this thing. Our fees had to go up because it's more work to manage it or whatever. And so you're just, you're waypointing along the way as to what's happening and reacting to it. Now, if you're a good agency and you're with somebody for a long time and you're accountable, then they're, they want you at the table to tell them what to do during each month of the pandemic, each month afterwards, each month with the Suez Canal and like each month with the Port of Los Angeles, right? They want you to know what you think because you have the opinion that you share with 10 other, you share that with 10 other clients because you're on the calls. So an account manager is actually as good or probably more effective than a business owner on these calls because the business owner is better at sales. The account manager is better at showing them where they stand and setting KPIs and goals. So that's where the agency model really works well is that because you have redundancy and you have a structure in place. So does that make sense? Like the, what you do, as yeah. long as you stick with them, there's none of these things should be a surprise when it's adversarial or all you send is a report and the report is tone deaf to their situation. You don't actually ask them what they want. You don't see what they're going through. And yeah, it's going to be there. It's going to be bad. Now, which one costs more money to do hiring an account manager who actually has a call with you instead of just shitting, spitting out a crappy report? Yeah. The account manager is more expensive, but also that's the high end agency that graduates way beyond just the hand of mouth time for money thing. They're the ones who who keep the client accounts that are in the thousands, $10,000 a month type range. Yeah, I like it a lot. And by the way, this is a great checklist. I mean, even though we're focusing with the Amazon agency owner in mind as our direct listener, if you like, but 
most people listening will probably be my sort of target list, which is the the Amazon sort of e-commerce business owners. And this is a great way to evaluate an agency, right? So how do they operate? How do they communicate? How do they set expectations in a grown-up way? And equally, who's my day-to-day contact? Hey, yeah, that's what a good question. To? Yeah, that's, that brings me to two more questions. So, the, the fundamental question: I hired Doug and I got John. You cannot. The difference between a freelancer and agency, as you put it very simply, is that obviously a freelancer is one person and it's not scalable. And if you've got a significant size business, you probably want the redundancy, as in the yeah. if one person is sick or, or just gets fed up with it or their wife divorces them and they get depressed or whatever weird stuff that happens in life, then they can no longer act for you. If they've got an agency, they've got multiple people that can do the job. So yeah. that's good for the client. That's good for the the business owner, the brand owner. But we've always got this problem. As you just said, I got this gr- brilliant person on a podcast, very charismatic, great can sell to Eskimos or whatever we're allowed to say now. I, I always use that phrase for what it's worth. <laughs> and Eskimos have a lot of ice. I think it's reasonable. Yeah, I, think that, um, I think that's fair. It, we say coal to Newcastle in, in the UK, by the way, because mm-hmm. traditionally Newcastle imported a lot of coal. So bringing more coal there wasn't bringing any value. So they, yeah. there's another phrase. If you want something a bit more neutral. Anyway, so on the other hand, they're running an agency. If you would like resources and links and other help, to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 396. By definition, they have to employ a bunch of other people. So you're never going to get the person who sold you into it in the first place actually doing the day to day. Or are you? How do we square that, sir? Yep. Yeah. So I like to look at it this way. A freelancer is like catching a band on the way up. So, so like a freelancer, is, when they're good, they're the best because they're resourceful. One person to answer to and they're there. They can't really scale and eventually they're going to always go either in-house. They're never going to stay in that level. Very rarely does somebody have a 30-year career just freelancing just with five clients. They're always tempted to scale. They're always tempted to go back. And it's just such a, it's a roller coaster that when you get them when they're good, it's amazing. When you get them when they're down, it's terrible. Like I, so the, the band thing, like I, my, when I was in college, my friend booked Maroon 5 to play at the amphitheater, a thousand seats at our university for $5,000. Okay. Maroon 5, one of the biggest bands in the last 20 years, we got them for $5,000. That deal isn't there anymore. You're not going to get them. So you get a band in the private venue, they get paid a $5 cover. Then you get them in the arena tours where it's $5,000 a ticket or whatever Taylor Swift tickets cost nowadays. Then you get them on the state fair circuit at the end, once they've been humbled and they've gotten down. That's sort of like the, the, the hierarchy or the arc that you might go with somebody, right? So yeah, you're either going to get them Either you get a freelancer in the private venue, don't know what they're worth yet, and just struggling to get by. They're going to work really hard. They're going to take off. They're going to leave you, or you're, they're not going to service you as well. And then you're going to then you can get them again later on on the state fair tour, which is like a United States thing. But it's like basically people who used to be popular they had a hit 20 years ago, and now they're just like you know back been humbled. I think that's like the trajectory of a freelancer, usually oh. speaking, is that very rarely is it a one stop shop, and they're always going to be there for you. And so if you are a big business, one, the freelancer will never get through procurement in the first place. You're never going to hire them because they don't fit the criteria. They don't have the certainty, the guarantees. They don't have to write a contract. They don't have attorneys to write things. They don't have um, the ability to do fulfillment systems. They don't pass your vendor check. They don't have any of that stuff, right? So you need an agency at a certain point for that. Plus redundancy, as we talked about, structure and consistency. That's the main benefit. 
Yeah. And by the way, I guess that's another bit of a checklist. I'm just writing away here. As ever, folks, you can find the notes at 10kcollective.com if you want some more detailed show notes. Yeah. The structure and consistency, redundancy, passing checks. These are all little checklists for anyone who's hiring an agency. Again, the other thing we were talking about, uh, the final question I'd like to talk about is this. Um, how do we, given that most people are Amazon sellers listening to the show rather than agency owners, how do we make ourselves better clients? Which is a funny question, but I got the feeling that the dissatisfaction that my clients have with PPC agencies isn't solely down to the agencies. It probably is to a large degree. I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm imagining also the way they're setting expectations or managing could do with some work. So in your, with your many years of being on the other side of the table as the agency owner, what things can people do to be better clients, to manage the agencies, to communicate better, to make it more likely that they'll be happy and get a great yeah, result? Yeah, love it. So I in the past, I did a, like a 10 thing checklist. Is it a bad client? And it's no, yes, if they do these things, they are no, they are bad. Do they have boundaries? Do they respect what you do? So I have a whole decision tree as to whether they're good or bad or not. But uh, basically, if they check two red flags, then they're out, in my opinion, right? So that. So how do you be a better client? That's the more constructive way to look at it, for sure. How to be a better client is, one, you have to respect their work and understand what they're doing. You have to have reasonable expectations, meaning that you have to, you can't think they're going to be, like, you can't hire an agency to turn your company around. Those people have, an agency has no skin in the game. They're a hired gun. They're time for money. They're just doing something. They're an outsourced function of your strategy. So they're not your strategy. So when you expect a service provider to be a part of your team and to be there, that's never the relationship. They're hired to do that, right? They're not in that point. So it's never a Hail Mary pass or it's never something that's going to save. They can be involved. They can inform your strategy with tactics, but they should never be like the strategy. That's what you have to do internally. So usually when an agency doesn't work out, it's a sign that you're not working very well internally. You need to work on yourself, trusting them for what they're good at, but then also holding them accountable. Because a lot of times agencies, because they are time for money, if you don't tell them how you want them to spend their time, then they're going to underservice you. They're not going to do as good of a job. They're not going to pay- they're not going to be paying attention. So if you're hiring somebody, you could say, hey, we need to make sure that every month the change history in your PPC account has at least 200 activities. That's what we expect here. We expect that. Or we expect that you're adjusting bids. We expect that you turn off a bad performing keyword after a certain amount of time. And that's our rules. So giving them criteria for what makes them successful will make them successful, right? Or at least letting them tell you what successful is. So it's really more to enforce accountability and to get them to do what they say they're going to do and giving them the resources they need or they ask for and giving them quick responses will go a long way. But expecting that the agency is going to turn around a business is not a reasonable expectation. They are an amplification. They are leverage for you. And actually, this goes back to our first podcast episode, the small data. I the second or the first L is leveraged. That's the point when you need leverage when you want to work with agencies. It's because they have specialized knowledge. They will only focus on the thing that you ask them to do versus an employee has a million responsibilities, million KPIs that they have to deal with. And they are going to work tirelessly until it's there and they're going to do what they say they're going to do. That's the thing. That's what leverage is. If you were to have somebody do it internally to manage your PPC accounts, they would spend one hour on it on a Monday and they wouldn't look at it again until October. That's just how it goes. When you hire somebody to do this and you say, hey, I need to make sure there's changes in our change history. You need to be doing stuff. You need to do the work. 
that will get done. You are paying for that guarantee that it will get done. Usually it's effective. Work is a sign of effectiveness when it comes to working with consultants and agencies. Sometimes it's not the case, but usually that's because the strategy was bad in the first place, not the work itself. You make a very good point. I think people, uh, this is again, a question of setting expectations. The expectations aren't just about this agency versus that agency. It's setting up an expectation that were you or your staff really going to spend 20 hours a week on PPC consistently and actually manage either the cost down or the the return on investment up to difference, right? Or were you in fact going to spend five hours in some weeks and zero hours in others? And that's a very good point that it's not an argument I've heard before for hiring an agency, but just getting one very specific job done. But the more we talked in the last episode about the fact that in reality, the people I know with a three or four person business, say two business partners and a couple of part-time, not even employees, technically uh, engaged people, they're probably trying to manage 20 KPIs between them yeah. and they're just overwhelmed. So the reality is probably not a fair comparison that they probably weren't managing PPC very well. So yeah, yeah it's a very good point. Look, this has been very interesting. We ought to let you get on with, we're getting up to Thanksgiving for you and we ought to let you get to your family. You'd be probably wondering why you're talking to some British guy for so long. This has been really interesting. Any other question that I haven't asked you that we should know about this whole business of agencies from either the agency owner side or the client user side? It's funny. I've been on both sides. I'm actually a client now for my business versus the agency. I It's so much fun. I love the cross-pollination of ideas and sharing. One thing I was just going to just touch on the last point is the talent's pretty much the same. Like I had an agency in Twin Cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul. And if we had an opening we were competing with other agencies for the same people. So whether they land with my agency or another one, it's it's usually the same people, the same caliber of person doing the work. It's whether that agency actually has a process and has that structure in place that chooses whether they're successful or not. So it definitely comes down to the business. And so the cool thing is if you are talking to the owner of the business and they're selling you on their services, you can tell them, you can ask them, what do you, how are you as a business owner not just as a salesperson, right? So you can actually get them, you can make them better. And if you like working with them, you can build into the contract how you're working with them. And I think that can build the relationship to be stronger because not everybody does that intuitively. They're usually not very good at owning a business. They're good at sales or they're good at whatever got them there in the first place. That makes a lot of sense. So in other words, the differentiator between agencies, it's really not about the quality of the staff. It's about process and structure that the business has in place. Okay, brilliant. That's a really nice, clear point on which to end. Final question then is just to remind you of what it is you do for business owners out there at Data Driven You, your company. Yeah. So I have, so we have datadrivenyou.com, which is a online learning academy, if you will, with both pre-recorded and live courses, plus a bunch of SOPs. And we have, we do individual certifications for people wanting to get skills in the Google suite of tools. But then we also have agency coaching programs and masterminds where basically, if you like what I'm saying here, you get to have masterminds once a week with a person who sold an eight-figure agency business, who's hired 15 consultants in my life, who's done, been on a thousand sales calls, who's done all this stuff, right? Like I've, I've done it all, very seasoned in this area. And I have an opinion and I have not just an opinion, but I've seen the results of just about everything you could do in this world. I've just lived it, right? And if you want to work with somebody, or even if it's not, even if you don't have an agency, but you just want to talk to a business owner, because I've been a product business owner for over a decade now too. That's the mastermind's all about, is getting an opinion from me and from your peers immediately before you even have to worry about whether or not you go and do it or not. So the other feed, the normal feedback loop is, 
you have an idea, you implement it, it works or it doesn't. And then three months later, this one will give you immediate answers and feedback as to how to look at solving your problems. And so that's like way, a premium membership that we have at Data Driven You. I like that. And by the way, the I would say the idea that you get a feedback loop within three months is fairly optimistic um, <laughs> for most private label type businesses because that's actually, that, that's pretty quick for anything that's been sourced in China, especially you normally you're looking yeah. at six to 12 month feedback loop. So yeah, getting that early feedback is really valuable. That's one of the things that, one of the reasons I ran the mastermind myself as well. That's at, I think the um, ddu.ai slash focus, which is a slightly nerdy kind of tech, early tech sounding URL, like at ddu.ai as in data driven, ddu.ai forward slash focus. That sounds really good, particularly, I guess, if somebody's running an agency, that sounds the place to be because you've got so much experience. That's so really helpful. And I know quite a few agency owners, at least on my email list, because I see their names appear and I'm like, oh, I remember interviewing you two months ago. So they're curious. They're out there. So they may be listening to this. And the other thing is obviously the free stuff. You got a newsletter list. What do people get on your newsletter specifically? Yeah. So our newsletter is a weekly on Fridays. It just gives you updates as to what's happening in the marketing world around data. It shows you all like the YouTube videos that I post and our blog posts and any offers we have, cool tools you can use. So it just it's just a way to stay up to date with what you're doing. Very easy to consume. Just a bunch of links that you can click on Fridays and that will get you going. And then occasionally we have special offers for our paid programs as well. Brilliant. Look, this has been fantastic stuff. Really enjoyed our conversation. Quite eye-opening to see what agency, a good quality agency is thinking about and how you assess the quality of an agency. And so I think that will be very useful for a lot of Amazon sellers out there who use agencies very common and who often feel quite dissatisfied. So hopefully you've found ways to evaluate the agency and to also think about how you manage them. There's a lot there actually, isn't there? So yeah. fascinating stuff. Anything else we should cover that I haven't asked you? Yeah, I'll just touch on just that. It might You might listen to this thing and be like, that's more work than I'm doing now as the agency owner. It is not more work. The amount of work that goes into your account manager or your employees trying to figure out what to talk about with clients and trying to reinvent the wheel, six people doing it six different ways, that's the waste of time. You just don't always see it. It's, on, it's not under your nose, right, that you're doing that. So these investments will save you time, make your margins better, and make your business stickier to stick around with clients. I had I, in examples, I had a client, we've had a client for over 10 years, the same account manager. And the reason why that client stayed with us for 10 years, which is unheard of in the agency business, is because they liked those monthly calls with our guy and because we had an account manager. And so there was no awkward conversations as long as that guy was with the company, which is over a decade, that relationship stayed strong. And so that's what can happen when you implement these types of structures. Yeah, I think it's that penny wise, pound foolish, as we would say in the UK or whatever the US equivalent is that you're saving a little bit of money by just sending a report and not having a manager relationship. But then of course you get that terrible churn that every three months they'll go in, yep. look for another magic agency, which as you say, probably has the same staff who've moved on ourselves, like yep. they've churned as well. And then suddenly you've got massive churn on the sales front. So your retention is terrible and your MMR metrics, if that means anything to listening, are awful. And then your staff retention rates bad so your hiring costs are horrendous and yeah as you say like doing things properly always worthwhile isn't it if your relationships will only last three months then you're doing something wrong unfortunately yeah. i know exactly what you're doing wrong if you if it's that if it's that much like you're flipping a coin every month if a client's going to stay with you you have a lot of work to do and a lot of ways of rethinking what you're doing because it shouldn't be that way 
Yeah, agreed. And I think that sometimes I would say the same advice to some Amazon business owners, like before you even enter a relationship with a PPC agency, for example, which seems to be their favorite, the thing they love to hate at the moment. I'm like, yeah, just be really clear. What are you trying to do? If you're just trying to grow revenue growth, then with respect, that's not the greatest aim because they'll probably do that. And then you'll look around and say, you've given me, you've taken all my profit away and they can legitimately say, you asked us to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Going with an intelligent (laughs) thing and and going long term. Even if you use Tinder in your personal life, you shouldn't be using it in your business life. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. This, like, isn't, like, this you, isn't swipe right. See if it works out. There's a lot more mechan- There's a lot more structure you can put in place to, to make the right choice. But yes. Don't treat life like Tinder, at least in business. <laughs> and we'll leave your personal exactly. life to you. Absolutely. Well put. <laughs> so look, Jeff, Jeff Sauer from Data Driven You. Really interesting conversation. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Really Yeah. Thanks it. for having me. This is wonderful. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 396. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.